0: This morning we're going to look at the 73rd Psalm uh, to begin our lesson, and uh, and we're going to talk about something that might make us uncomfortable, uh, something that none of us likes, and and that's the understanding that in life you're going to be wrong sometimes. And if you're like me, I don't like to be wrong. I don't go around doing things wrong on purpose, generally speaking, but there's enough times where I mess up on accident that I need to be corrected. And I need to be reproved, I need to be shown my error so that I can get better and improve. And, and if I asked for a show of hands this morning of any of you that have ever been wrong, and maybe by mistake you'd raise your hand and have to say, well, what if you've been wrong by purposely doing something you knew was wrong and you still did it anyway? I venture to say all of our hands would probably be up there as well. But I want to look at Psalm 73 to begin our study. I want to look there starting in verse 24. and And this is a a psalm of Asaph, um, not a psalm of David, uh, but I want you to look at verse 24. It says, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee? My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart, and my portion forever. And I often focus when I look at this passage on the end of that verse 26 that God is the strength of my heart and He's my portion forever. And I agree with that and I'm thankful for that. But you know why that is? It's because my heart and my body, my life, my thoughts, Chase's thoughts fail me from time to time. And too much of our culture, too much of our life is spent trying to do the things we want to do and without giving regard to what is it that the will of the Lord is. And a lot of times we want to go about living and doing whatever we want to do and then have that kind of fall under the umbrella. Well, that's the Lord's will. And the psalmist here recognizes that your heart and your life, you're going to fail. And if you're depending upon your own wisdom and your own thoughts and your own ideas to get you through life, you're going to find yourself wanting and you're going to fail miserably, but the Lord will be your portion. The Lord will be the one who directs your steps if you submit to His authority. You know, reproof isn't fun. But you know, it's something that a Christian ought to seek after. We ought to desire to have God show us our errors so that we can correct those things. Psalm 139, a psalm of David in verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. When is the last time you really petitioned and prayed to God, God, examine me and find my faults, find my failures, find the things, and expose them. See, we don't like that, do we? You know what we want God to do? We want Him to find our victories and show us where we've been right, don't we? We want that pat on the back. And, and God is full of affirmation. God is full of validation in our life as a Christian, but we also want to petition God to find in me those areas of weakness. Help me to identify the area that I need to give some focused attention to so that I can become a better, more equipped servant of yours and your kingdom. And I would encourage all of us that when we pray, we pray to God this prayer. Find the weakness, find the evil that's in me. Because all of us are prone to it, aren't we? All of us understand selfishness and ego and all those things that are very destructive forces that are within the heart of mankind. But when we pray to God for Him to find those things, what we're doing is we're opening ourselves up to understand, I want to be better. And we can't be better without an acknowledgement that we have failed and made a mistake. And that's the value of reproof. You know, the Scriptures are given to us to point out the errors in our life. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. Profitable for what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So, as we think about the Word of God and we study the Word of God and the Scriptures that He has given to us, one of the things that we ought to desire for the Scriptures to do is to show us that reproof. And to make it in simple terms, reproof just means tell me where I'm wrong. I have a wife. You know what I'm thankful to have in her? Is somebody who knows the Scriptures, she knows me. And she knows my errors. And she knows when I'm doing something that isn't right, and you know what she's willing and bold enough to do? She's willing to say, Chase, you know what the Bible says about this. And to bring me back to where I really ought to be. She's willing to reprove. But how many of us really want reproof? You see, our culture has created this idea that you can't tell anybody that they're wrong because we get our feelings hurt. The truth is, your feelings will not get you into heaven. But your obedience to the will of God will. And the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ will deliver you. But for that to be the case, we've got to understand the power that lies within the Word of God. Is it profitable for doctrine? You bet. And we teach the truth and we teach people how they ought to worship. We teach people how they ought to teach. We teach people how they ought to live in righteousness and being obedient to the will of God. We understand that the Bible gives us answers for the problems of this life, but it also exposes the sin that is within our heart. And I want to share with you an example of where I learned reproof as a young man. Now, I remember as a very young child being told no and then doing something and then having my rear end spanked because I did something I wasn't supposed to do. That's a form of reproof and discipline and correction. But you know, all of those... I kind of have little memories here and there of, but there's a few instances in my life that I can tell you details of errors I made and someone showing me where I was wrong. This is one of those times. Now, this picture up here may not mean a lot to you, but it represents a large portion of my life from the time I was about 13 till I was about 18 years old. And Texas high school football is pretty much church in a lot of places you know what every Friday night from my freshman year through my senior year I was on a football field like this and the next Saturday morning guess what we would always do we would go and we would watch what were called the all-22s that means we would watch tape and we would watch film and we would grade out how we performed the night before well my freshman year we were going into a playoff game and we were playing Eustace And Eustace had one play, that if we could stop one play, we'd win the game. And we knew it. And it was a trap play. They'd run trap right, trap left, trap right, trap left. And guess what I played? I played defensive tackle. So all week long, prepping for that game, my coaches said, Palmer, all you have to do is if the guard in front of you blocks down, you fill the gap, and you wait for the trap, and you blow up the trap, and the linebackers will make the tackles, and we'll shut them down. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And guess what, all week at practice, guess what I did? The guard in front of me blocked down, I would chip him, I'd fill the gap, trap would come, I'd blow the trap up, we'd make the tackle in the backfield, we were ready. Then Friday night came. Guess what happened the first play of the game? I'm playing defensive tackle, I'm lined up in my two spot, right over the guard, guard blocks down, guess what? In my brain I said, it's a trap. And I chipped him, but guess where I went? I just went upfield, And pretty soon, I'm ear-holed, I'm laying on the ground, and I look back from the ground, and I see number 23, 60 yards down the field. I get over to the sideline, and my coach grabs my face mask, because you could still do that back in 1995. <laughs> and he said, Palmer, you had one job. What did you? I said, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. So-and-so, they were supposed No, that was you. And I said, no, sir, it wasn't me. He said, wait till tomorrow morning. And he said, get back in there. And I said, what's he mean? And then it hit me, film review. Because we had a saying, the tape don't lie. So guess what? We finished the game. We lost. Saturday morning comes. We're tired. It's 8 a.m., We're watching the film. First play of the game. Coach has it queued up. Everybody watch Palmer. And guess what it showed? It exposed me. I was wrong. Coach rewound it. Let's watch it again. Five, six, seven times later, I finally said, Coach, I get it. I was wrong. He said, that's all I wanted to hear is that you admit you were the one that was wrong. Sometimes I think God's waiting on us to just be that blunt and open and say, you know what? I was wrong, Lord. He's full of grace and mercy and compassion wanting to forgive. He gave us his son that we're going to remember here in a few moments around this table. He's paid the price. But we're too stubborn and prideful and full of ego that we can't humble ourselves and say, Lord, I was wrong and I know you see my life like this film. I want to tell you this morning, if you can't be open and honest with God about the sin you have in your life, it will go unrepented of and it will go unforgiven and you will suffer an eternal hell separated from God. But if you'll admit you're wrong and accept that and then implement the things that God has that He wants to pour into your life to make you a better servant of His, He'll bless you. But it starts with us taking that reproof in the manner that it's given. You see God reproved through the prophets in the Old Testament. You know, 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see that instance of Nathan the prophet being sent to King David. And we often focus on David, right? He had committed adultery with Bathsheba. They had had a child, or were having a child. He had had uh, her husband Uriah murdered in the front line of the battle. So he's an adulterer, he's a murderer. And we say, what a despicable man David is. But then we see David's redemption story. We see David as a man after God's own heart, and he repents. And you know who I feel bad for sometimes? It's Nathan. Because God told Nathan, you go tell the king he was wrong. Anybody else? (laughs) Lord, you sure I'm the one? I have to go in front of King David who has already committed adultery and then murdered to cover this whole thing up and you want me to be the one to reprove him? I don't know. Because you know what David had the authority to do? He had the authority to have Nathan killed. He was the king. He could have continued lying and trying to cover it up and said that's a false prophet. He's bringing blasphemous accusations against me as the king. I want him in prison. I want him dead. And guess what David's servants would have done? They would have done that. You know, Nathan risked a lot. But you know, he went and shared that story with David, didn't he? And he told you about that man who had all the lambs and the flocks that he would ever want and need. And that man who had one little ewe lamb. And a traveler came through and needed something prepared. And the man with many took the one and slaughtered it and prepared it and gave it. And and David's anger was kindled within him. He said, that man has to pay. And what did Nathan say? Those famous words, Thou art the man. You know, David could have stiffened his neck up and said, How dare you say that about me? You see, but David did have a heart seeking after God. You see, and having a heart seeking after God doesn't mean that you're perfect. But it means when you err and you commit sin and you make a mistake that you own up to it. You have integrity and accountability, and you say, Lord, I'm guilty of that. Help me fix this. Because as long as David tried to fix it on his own terms, guess what happened? Lie after lie after lie, deception after deception, and the problem just got bigger. And the same is true for us in our life. You see, we were designed to need God. And that was from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8 says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see, this conversation with Adam and Eve in the garden wasn't something foreign to Adam and Eve. They were used to hearing God speaking to them and talking and communicating directly with them because God designed them for that. And God designed us to have a relationship with God. But do you see what distorts that relationship? It's sin. I will tell you, sin is wrong. And there are things in our nation that people promote and say, well, it's really a judgment issue. I want to tell you, lying is wrong no matter who does it. Stealing is sin in the sight of God no matter who the guilty party is. Homosexuality is sin. And it's wrong in the sight of God. I want to tell you what else is. Fornication. Adultery. Living with someone, cohabitating before marriage, and and entertaining those thoughts and ideas before you're committed in a faithful relationship, those things are sin. And we can retreat and turn a blind eye to it, or we can speak the truth of the Word of God in love. Because here's the truth all of us are guilty of sin. And there's not a sin out there in the world that's greater than any of the sins that we've ever committed. And I think the picture and what we need to promote about the kingdom of God is that we're not perfect people. But you know what? We're striving to be better people. Perfection only occurred once on this earth, and that was Jesus Christ. He lived this life perfect. And he offered his life as a sacrifice for us because he knew we couldn't. But that reconciled us and restored a relationship that was lost in the garden. Now, do you realize how desperately in need of God you are? And I think sometimes in the church we have a tendency to kind of forget that. Because there was a point in my life where I was desperate for God. And I realized how desperate I was. And I woke up every day knowing if I died, I'd be separated from him because I hadn't done what he told me to do. And that desperation caused me to make a choice and make a decision to obey his will. But you know, since then, we get a little comfortable. But you know, in reality, my need for God hasn't changed. And it shouldn't change. Every day we wake up, we ought to realize, you know what? I need Jesus today. Every first day of the week when we come around the table and we remember His death, it ought to be just as important and vital to us as it was the first time we ever partook of it. Because without that, we're nothing. Matthew 5 and 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That has nothing to do with your financial status on this earth. It's all about your your humility and your desire To lower yourself to become a servant of God. Poor in spirit. That means you don't trust in yourself, but you understand as we read in Psalm 73 this morning, that the Lord will be your portion. Because your life and your heart fail you. And you need Him. You see, sin separates us from the love of God. Isaiah 59 and 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities are separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. And who was Isaiah speaking to here? He was speaking to God's holy nation of people. Well, guess who this message ought to be for today? It ought to be for the church that we need to realize sin will separate us from God. And we can buy into the lies of Satan that sin's not a big deal, sin's okay, and just turn a blind eye to it and act like it's not there and it'll just go away. Or we can understand the disease that it is and the seriousness of it. Sin separates us from God. It'll separate us from Him while we're here and it will separate us from Him for eternity. And if God's judgment on our life is that we be separated from Him for all of eternity, I want to tell you, it's a just punishment. It will be what we deserve. Because we have refused to acknowledge the sin that we've committed and we've refused to repent and make the changes that are necessary. To glorify Him. See, there is a penalty for sin. Often we think of sin as causing consequences now in this life. And I'll tell you, there are consequences to sin in this life. You know, you go back to David's sin. There were consequences of that sin that were not going to go away. Did David repent? David did. David acknowledged his sin. He repented and he went to restore and fixed whatever the way, the way the Lord commanded him to the problem that he had created. But the Lord said, you know what? There's still going to be some consequences, David. The sword's not going to depart from your house. And you go and you study how vile some of David's children were. And the corruption that entered into his home because of the decisions he made, he couldn't undo it. But you know, there's an eternal consequence that's far greater than any earthly suffering we go through because of our sin. Ephesians 2 and verse 1 through 3 says, Who were dead in trespasses and sins." you catch that? If you're in sin and you're in trespasses, guess what? You're dead. And that death doesn't mean that you don't have a heart that's pumping blood through your body, providing oxygen to your organs so that you can walk around and live It means you're spiritually dead and separated from the living God. You're walking around dead. If you're in trespasses and sin. He goes on in verse 2 to say, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. See, rest assured there's a penalty for sin and God is the one who renders judgment on that sin and His judgment will be right. There will not be an opportunity to rebut the judgment of God. It's final. And too often we think of that as such an idea that's far off in the distance and it could be today. That we stand before our Creator and give account of the life that we've lived. Proverbs 28 and 13, the wise one writes, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You know, isn't it easier when you make a mistake just to say, you know what, game warden, I made a mistake, and fall on the mercy of the game warden if you made a mistake? If you made a mistake, not saying anybody did, just if. You made a mistake while you're out hunting sometime. Because guess what happens? You try to cover it up. You make a mistake, you gotta tell one lie. And then you sometimes get other people involved in that lie, and they're covering stuff up, and all of a sudden, somebody finds out. Aren't you that way as a parent with your children? They make a mistake and they come and tell you they made a mistake. You're a lot less, they're still going to get punished, don't get me wrong, but that punishment's going to be less than if you had to find out some other way. And then you had to go and extract that information from them. At least that's how we try to parent in our home. We try to extend grace and mercy, especially when they come to us and say, you know what, Mom and Dad, I messed up, made a mistake. And parents, when you respond out of love and compassion and mercy, guess what they're going to be more likely to do the next time they make a mistake? They're going to come to you. And as a parent, we start that very early on because when they turn 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old and they start making some other mistakes that could really impact their life for a long time, you know where I want my kids going? I want them coming to me. I want them to come and confess that to me so that we can, through prayer and understanding and study the scriptures, repair and repent and restore. And if we're not creating that kind of environment in our homes, our kids grow up with this expectation that I've got to be perfect. If I'm not perfect, I'm a failure. And pretty soon they can't come home and talk to mom and dad about mistakes they've made. And they never acknowledge what they've done wrong. And then a lot of times that heart just gets hard and cold. And they depart into the world. You see, if we confess or acknowledge, that's what the word confess means, is to acknowledge our sin and forsake them, we can have the mercy of God. Now in the New Testament, guess what we see? We see reproof and conviction. And conviction is kind of a bad word in our society. We don't like to feel convicted. I just want to feel good about myself. And the reality is sometimes I need to feel convicted. Because that conviction when received by a heart that's trying to serve God will create something far better. Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, he said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Did Peter sugarcoat the truth at all? Peter looked at this crowd of Jews and said, Guess what? You murdered the Messiah. Notice his language. He didn't say we have. He said you, because who needed to be convicted? You see, Peter knew his shortcomings. Peter knew his sins. Peter was a repentant man. But he was preaching to an audience of people who needed to know what they had done and what they had done was wrong. Peter didn't say, hey, you made a lapse in judgment. It'll be okay. We'll work through this. He said, no, it's wrong. You murdered Jesus, the Son of God. And we'll see what that type of preaching and conviction yielded. At the end of our study. Again in Acts chapter 20 and verse 31. Paul preaching among the Ephesians. He said therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years. I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. What was Paul warning them of? He was warning them of what? False teachers and sinful practices. And saying I'm warning you. I'm telling you. Don't listen to it. Don't fall into it. Don't commit it. Repent, seek forgiveness, restoration, remember Christ. And he did that tirelessly day and night for three years, hoping to convict them of sin. You know what? One of the charges given to elders in the church today, Titus chapter 1 and verse 9 in the New King James Version says, Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to both to exhort and convict those who contradict. I'll tell you, it's, I've never been an elder. Don't have a desire to be an elder. You know why? That's a great responsibility. They shepherd a flock. They care for the souls of every member of that flock. And then they also got to do what? They got to convince those and convict those who Contradict and sometimes to convict and convince you got to have very difficult conversations with people and i've seen people have conversations with elders and the elder walks out of the home and those people say i hate that man and i'll tell those people that man loves you and he's willing to tell you the truth cuz it's not about being likable it's about pleasing the lord because if this was a popularity contest, I'll tell you, Jesus didn't win a popularity contest, did he? This world hated him. And it hated him because he was the personification of truth. And he exposed sin. And as he shed light on sin, people got uncomfortable. Some people repented and came to him. And some people, guess what? Continued in darkness and rebelled against him. What was the vast, vast majority Those that hated him. Receive reproof in the manner that it's given. You know why? Because reproof is there to help you change. And it's there to help me change because we don't take the steps necessary to change unless we acknowledge that there's a problem. You know, I've done a lot of work with people who struggle with addiction. You know what? You can have Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. You can have 12-step meetings. You can have circles of support. You can have interventions. You can have all those things. And until that person who has the problem admits that there's something wrong and something needs to change, you're not going to make a difference. But when they're willing to confess and forsake, guess what? We're on the right path now. And sometimes to get on that right path means I have to listen to some things that are painful for me to hear. That's why the church is so important to us, brethren. Because I look at the church, I don't just see people who want to pat you on the back and tell you how good you are all the time. They're the ones that will hold you accountable when you fail and when you make a mistake. And they'll have that hard conversation and tell you the hard truth sometimes because they love you. Because I venture to say if they had error in their life, guess what they would want you to do? They would want you to come have that hard conversation with them. You know, Paul acknowledged his sin. And I think it's interesting as we look, and in the New Testament and the Old Testament were written, they were, the Scriptures were inspired and breathed by God directly, but they had a personal connection to the writer that was writing them. Romans 7 verse 18, Paul said, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. He said, you know what, I'm a man of like passions, and in the flesh there's nothing good in me. And he had that internal debate. The things that I should do, I don't do. And the things that I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. And he said, What about himself? Oh, wretched man that I am. You ever feel that way? When you examine your life and compare it to the Word of God and what we ought to be, you say, I'm wretched, I'm miserable, I'm horrible. You know what? That's an honest evaluation. Because it was through that evaluation of Paul's examination of himself that he said, you know what? But through Jesus, I can be better. Because I'm not trapped in a carnal mindset. I can live a spirit-led life. Because he recognized in his flesh there were sinful thoughts, practices, and ideas. But rising above that in the spirit allowed him to escape that but it's because he recognized and acknowledged his sinful nature. Look at this passage in Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. He says, For we ourselves... You remember a while ago when we looked at uh, talking to the church at Ephesus and talked about them and you being, but now what's he say here? He says, We ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. We're all in the same boat. Paul even said it. He put himself in that category and said, I was disobedient. I rebelled against God. I hated the things that Jesus stood for. But he didn't stay that way. That was the difference. And the reason he didn't stay that way is because why? Because Jesus came to him and said, why are you persecuting me? And it brought Saul of Tarsus to his knees. And he blinded him And he brought him down to a point that he realized, you know what, Saul, no matter how powerful you think you are, you need to acknowledge God and you need to submit to Jesus. How do you respond to reproof today? Go back to the example of David. You know how David responded to that reproof? I have sinned against the Lord. You see, when you sin and that sin is exposed, and reproof comes, your first response has to be this. And if it's not, you're going to create a bigger problem for yourself. David said, you know what? I sinned. It's hard for us to be objective, isn't it? When it comes to our own life, when it comes to our children, because my kids are perfect. No, they're not. (laughs) I love him. I'm going to tell you, he messes up. But I want to teach him as a young man, you know what? I'm 39 and I mess up, son. I'm going to be 50 and mess up. But when you mess up, you own up to it. And you be a man and say, you know what, I sinned. And when I sin, I know where I need to go. I need to go back to the Lord. Because I'll find forgiveness and restoration in Him. Because there have been times in my life where I knew I was wrong, and guess what? I just plowed through it. Well, if I'm going to be wrong, I'm going to be real wrong. <laughs> and I don't care what anybody thinks. You ever been that way? didn't work. You don't find peace, you don't find safety, you don't find comfort, you don't find anything except isolation and darkness. I'll tell you, there's a lot of people living in isolation and darkness and we call it a lot of different things but in many cases, you know what they need? They need to accept the light that has exposed their sin and said you know what, I've messed up. That is very liberating. (laughs) And it's powerful to know that God doesn't expect me to be perfect. He expects me to be obedient to Him. And part of that obedience is repentance, confession, and restoration. I want to tell you, reproof is a blessing. You know why I know that? Because the Bible says it. Psalm 141 and 5 says, Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. David is saying, Let the people who are right, let them beat me. You ever ask somebody, Hey, come beat me up for a little while? I want to tell you, I've actually had conversations with people like that in a spiritual manner. Come and break me down. Kind of what we talked about in that prayer. Lord, find any evil way in me. If you have really strong brothers and sisters in Christ that you're close to, you can have these kind of conversations. when they say, you know what? Break me down. Smite me. Because it's going to do me good. You see something wrong in my life, don't be afraid to have that conversation because I know it's coming from someone who loves me and cares about me, and I'm going to receive that, because at the end of it, it's going to provide and produce something excellent in me. And it's going to make me a better servant of my Savior and of my God. Look at this passage here. Proverbs 20 and 30 says, Blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. I believe that's true too. Because I had a whipping by my mama. I had a whipping by my grandma one time. You know what, by the time I was about 11 years old, my mom could whip me and hurt. Oh, I'd fake cry because I knew if I didn't fake cry, Dad would get a hold of me. And I was 16 years old, Dad could still hurt me. <laughs> but you know what the purpose of those things were? To drive evil away. You see, if the discipline didn't hurt, it didn't produce any change. But when that discipline was painful, and it doesn't have to do with physically pain, but when that physical pain happened, it realized and it connected in my mind, I need to quit doing this. This is not fun. This is not pleasant. Because so I want to tell you, when you're 21 years old and you're getting drunk every night and you're living in fornication and sin and doing all the things, that the, you seem like you're having a good time, I want to tell you, it's destruction. And deep down in your heart, you realize this is evil, this isn't good. It's not producing anything that's going to help me in my life. I'm thankful my parents taught me those lessons when I was six, seven, eight years old to try to instill in me pain causes change one way or another. The blows that hurt cleanse away evil. Now the conviction. Remember what Peter said on the day of Pentecost? You have murdered the Son of God. The Bible says in verse 37 Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You see, conviction caused them to reflect and say, What can we do? What Peter has said is true. We acknowledge the truth. We're in trouble. What can we do? You know what they could have said? And I venture a large number of them did say this because how many of them were baptized? There were only 3,000 that were baptized. You know how many people were in Jerusalem at that time of that feast? Well over a million. And 3,000 were baptized. You know what a lot of them said? Okay. don't care. Peter's crazy. I didn't do anything. He deserved to die. They didn't acknowledge the truth and the gravity of what they had done wrong. See, but as the gospel began to be preached, people began acknowledging their sin and then asking this question, what can we do? Is there a way out? And what did Peter tell them? He didn't say, well, let's, let's talk about your feelings so that we get this guilt out of the." He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. This morning, I want you to understand something. If you're convicted of sin and you know you are living in a situation or condition where sin is dominating your life, and you have never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have never been buried with Him in baptism, you've never repented of that lifestyle and been baptized into Christ, I want to tell you, you're in the same state these people were who murdered Jesus. You're guilty. And you need to ask the question, what can I do? And the answer is this repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We can go to doctors, we can go to psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors and all those people to find answers and help us with life's problems. And I'm not against those things. But let me tell you start with Jesus, start with the Word of God. Be obedient to it. Because Jesus made you a promise. That if you repent and you're baptized, He'll give you the gift of the Holy Ghost, and that Holy Ghost will work within you. As you study and learn more about Him through His will, you're going to begin and continue this process of transformation for the rest of your life until something glorious and everlasting. I want to tell you, I want to have that hope with you. I want to get to my last slide here this morning. Because I want you to understand just like I started this lesson none of us like to be wrong. But brethren when you're wrong confess it. Confession's a funny thing because we have this earthly idea of confession that well I've got something on my heart and I'm going to go talk to brother Brandon and I'm going to tell him something and I'm going to confess that to him and that's one definition of form of confession but you know confession regarding God and our sin is totally different let me ask it this way when you commit sin and you want to confess that to God does God not already know what you've done He already knows, doesn't he? You see, when you confess to God, you're not telling him any information that he doesn't already know. But what you are doing is you're acknowledging what you've done wrong. Because God understands until that heart acknowledges what it's done wrong, it can't be a repentant heart and it can't change. But if you acknowledge your sin, guess what he'll do? He'll forgive it. And the reason he'll forgive it is because he already paid the price for it. And he paid the price in Jesus. How bad do you need Jesus today? How bad did you need him yesterday? How bad are you going to need him tomorrow? See, our need for Jesus doesn't change no matter how many church services you come to, no how many pretty, pretty songs you sing, no matter how many sermons you preach, no matter how many times you come around this Lord's table, your need for Jesus never changes. And this morning, we're going to offer you an invitation to come to Him. If you're in sin, God knows it. And you know it. And if something in your life needs to change, God knows it and you know it. Nobody else in this room may know it. But God's concerned about your soul. And if you'll come confessing that, acknowledging that to Him, and if you've never been baptized, being baptized into Christ, you're going to have a new life. But it has to start by putting the old life behind. And God will help you do it. Maybe you're here and you've been baptized, you've been obedient to that gospel, but you're back in a life of sin right now. I bet most of us in here can relate to that. The Bible says that you can pray because you have an advocate with the Father and His name is Jesus Christ and He will cleanse and forgive your sins and restore the joy of His salvation into your life. But as powerful as God is, as powerful as the sacrifice of the blood of Christ is, none of that can happen without you acknowledging your sin. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ Wheeler Area.